Today on our summer playlist is going to be a song that you know by heart, at least the chorus, like I said earlier. Um, and I honestly do not know the verses, even though we already did it at the earlier service. Claire was singing it next to me, and I, I don't understand still, but you know it by heart. And I thought we'd just start with a game, um, just to see how many songs you actually do know by heart. So I'm going to hum, or I'm going to da-da a song. And if you know what it is, I want you to raise your hand, and don't shout it out. And anybody who is on staff is not allowed to answer, or if you were at the earlier service. Okay, you ready? Dun 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 Okay, I saw your hand first. Happy birthday. Okay, they're gonna get progressively harder. Just letting you know. Dun Yes, I'm a little teapot. Y'all are doing great. Two for two. Okay, and I want to apologize that I am not in the choir for a reason. So if I'm off key or I don't start on the right key, then grace abounds. Da 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 In the back there. Yeah. Love me tender, Elvis Presley. Okay, and then last but not least. Yes, Hotel California. Thank you. Thank you for coming in, and neighbors, because if I was going to have to keep going, it, it might have gotten a little bit more troublesome. You see, for me, it's easier to remember the tune than necessarily the words, especially if it's a catchy one. Have you ever found yourself humming or bopping to a tune that you don't know the words to? Or maybe you only know the chorus and then you just do the da-da's in between? And so I was doing that during the pandemic at one point in the midst of the lockdown and I was just like da-da and bopping to this rap song. And Riley, my middle son, walks in and is like, Mom, you should not be humming to that song. Do you know what it's about? And then I looked up the lyrics, and let's just say that I stopped humming it, and I won't tell you what those lyrics were. What helps you get to know a song by heart? It's probably like the catchiness of it, or maybe you heard it so many times in the gym or on the radio or at church that you know it, and you end up knowing the tune and then eventually the words by heart. I wonder if there are any scriptures that you know by heart, and how you got to know them? Was it because maybe you were raised in a home where your family said scriptures together, or you went to a parochial school where they made you memorize scripture every week? Or, or maybe you were in a choir, and you know, most of sacred music comes from scripture, and so it gets tucked away in your heart, and you're never gonna forget those precious words. Or maybe someone gave you a card that had a scripture on it that you found catchy and it was meaningful at a certain time. When I think about a scripture that all of us know by heart, and actually a lot of the world knows by heart, we think of John 3, 16, that the choir just sang to us. This past week on our podcast, I asked Stacy and Claire and our intern Kevin 
to think about when the first time that verse, John 3, 16, had any meaning to them. And Stacy said growing up in Texas that she remembers being at football games and seeing it in the crowd, John 3, 16. She said that how she wondered when she saw it at a football game, because she grew up in the church, why was this being done? So she went home and, oh, it's that verse. But, but it had never been taken out as just something that you put up before. Have you ever wondered why? Why is that the verse of all verses that is put on a banner at football games or at baseball games? I mean, what is the intent of the person who's holding it up? And what is the person and all the people that are looking at it, what are they supposed to think about it in that moment? What I want us to do today is to look at the context that surrounds this verse, the 15 verses before it and the six or seven or so after it. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you why I think it's so important to look at Scripture in context. This is something we really believe in, in our Reformed theology, and especially here at Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church, and that is Scripture is the story of God's loving pursuit of God's creation. And because it is a story, it means it's, it's a conversation. It's something that you read along with other parts of Scripture. None of it can just be pulled out and used separately from the whole story. Let's, let's do a real simple example. In the book of Exodus, we are given the Ten Commandments. And one of those commandments is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And after that are all these laws for how that's supposed to be lived out, what you can and what you cannot do. Well, fast forward to Jesus. And Jesus, on the Sabbath, he kind of breaks some of those laws. And he says, you know, is it, aren't you, isn't it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Isn't it better to save life than lose it on the Sabbath? And he, he's gathering some food and, and they say, oh, you're not supposed to be gathering food on the Sabbath. And then he looks at the crowd and he says, you see, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So Jesus wasn't saying, do away with the Sabbath, it doesn't matter. He's saying it's not as simple as just a law that you follow or don't follow. It's not just black or white. Because we have this new lens to look at scripture through. And it is a lens of love, not legalism. It is a lens of acceptance, not judgment. Second, after we realize that it is part of a bigger story, we must realize that there are individual scriptures that are amazing to memorize. And for me, they have been life-giving. I have committed them to memory. They are ones that get me through. And all of y'all have these tucked away and meant to give you courage in moments, meant to give you strength, and also to give other people. You know, you see them on Hallmark cards. You write them into cards. But as Pastor Claire on our podcast said this week, I love this, Scripture, the Holy Bible, is not meant to be a quote book. It's not just you pull things out. You can. And those are, have a lot of, of joy and strength. But it is meant to be a story of God's reckless pursuit and love for God's creation. And so it is so important that we always read the scripture within context. And I want you to know, I'm a bit nervous about this 316 passage. Because growing up 
in this country. We've seen it and we've heard it a lot, especially if you grew up in the church. And so for many of you, this verse has a lot of importance and meaning. Maybe it has offered significance to your faith. And then I want to name that for some of you, you don't like it that much because you've seen it used in negative ways. I think the context around this is going to allow for something deeper, friends. I think that it is actually going to be something that maybe won't put us on the offense when we see what surrounds it, but it's going to offer this much bigger picture of what it means that God so loved the world. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, as we approach this verse that we know by heart, I pray that your spirit that is within us, your presence here among us, that we might be open and surprised by something new. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So before our verse, we are introduced to this leader of the Jews, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. You see, you cannot look at John 3.16 without realizing that those few words are in this story about Jesus having a conversation with one man. We don't know what Nicodemus knows about Jesus up to this point, but we can assume that he was with Jesus the day before because he was a Pharisee hanging out in the temple when Jesus got really mad and started turning over tables and casting people out of the temple because they had turned it into a den of robbers. We can assume that Nicodemus heard about that miracle at that wedding in Cana where he turned water to wine. What we know, though, is that Nicodemus was curious about who this Jesus person was. And so he goes to Jesus at night. He goes to Jesus at night and then they begin to have this conversation. What is the kingdom of God like? What is it like? And Jesus says, oh, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, are you telling me I need to get back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, this is a different type of birth. This is birth in the spirit. Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus a transforming and earth-shattering truth that will go against everything that Nicodemus has ever been taught since he was a little boy. Everything that his faith, his culture, his community, maybe even his family has told him. And it's that the God of Israel is bigger than you have made God out to be. God is way bigger than you think, Nicodemus, because God doesn't care about your heritage, what family you were born into, what class you are in. God is love. And then comes our verse, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. So we could stop here. I feel like we've already learned a lot about the context of this verse up to this point. Before this verse, we see that Jesus is trying to get a man to see God in a totally different way. Nicodemus's God was a God of do's and don'ts. A God that included some but excluded most. And Jesus is offering to Nicodemus this new perspective, this new lens. God wants a relationship with you because God loves you. And guess what, Nicodemus? God loves the whole world. 
all of the people in my life that have decided for some reason over the past 10 years to be done with church, all of them say that it is for the same reason. They say they don't want to be part of something that spends so much time fighting over who is accepted and who is not. I pray that the church can offer a new perspective. God loves. I believe in a church like Westlake Hills Prez that is going to spend more time diving deeper into who God is in the person of Jesus and then sharing that with others as opposed to fighting over who is accepted and who is not. But we can't stop at verse 16. The choir didn't stop. Listen to what it says next. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The verses after 16 flesh out more for Nicodemus and for us. What's involved with this God who loves so big? And first and foremost, God's love through Jesus never involves condemnation. The Greek word that is used here for condemn is the same one Jesus used when he says, do not judge unless you want to be judged. Jesus himself, the son of God, said, not even I, but only the father is the one who judges. And in this context, what does it mean to receive the judgment of God? Listen to what it says again. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light. This is the judgment. It's not a statement that's meant to condemn people. Luther Seminary, Luther Seminary professor Caroline Lewis, she's one of my favorite theologians. This is what she writes about John 3.16. She says, you know, we make John 3.16 words of judgment when we stop reading at the period placed at the end of 3.16. When we ignore what judgment actually means in John's gospel. Which is not that which we do or that which God does, but represents your own moment of crisis of whether or not you will choose to enter into the life-sustaining relationship God provides. When we limit salvation to some future guarantee, instead of the intimacy God so desires with us here and now. It's not just some future thing, but the intimacy God desires for us here and now. The context before 316 is about Jesus and this man having a conversation about what's the kingdom of God like? And Jesus tells Nicodemus, oh my gosh, you don't understand. The kingdom of God is huge. 
it is so much bigger than you have thought. The context after is about how there is a choice in living into that love or not. And this is the reality Jesus says to him. Not everyone in the world is going to choose the light. And you know what? Not even those who believe in him daily are going to always choose the light. And in between, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you see it? Do you sense a richness to it? It begins with God. It is God who does the loving. And God loves the cosmos, the entire world, not just one people. And then it says God gave to this world a gift, Jesus, the one and only. There is only one, Jesus. And everyone who believes in Jesus, literally the, everyone who has faith in Jesus, which means a faith that we know involves sometimes of being super close to God, and then other times where we feel a little bit distanced from God. A faith that we know is not sustained by our own doing, a faith that is sustained by God alone. Everyone who cries out, I believe, help my unbelief, that's part of this faith believing. Everyone who does that will not perish. I always thought that word perish meant die, as in a physical death. The Greek word that's used here, it's most often translated and that you and I would know it as lost. Do you know the parable of the lost? And Jesus says, who of you having a hundred sheep and loses one will not go and seek the 99. All who believe in me will never be lost. Jesus is going to recklessly pursue us with this love that is way bigger than any of us had ever imagined. Jesus is saying, this is what it is like to be in relationship with me. Even when you look to the darkness in this world, even when you go towards the darkness in the world, the light is still there. The light will not be darkened. Even when you choose to do evil things or other people choose to do evil things, the light is never overcome by darkness. I will always be there waiting to offer you love. I will always be recklessly chasing after you, my lost sheep. You will not perish. This is what the world needs to know so desperately as modeled from the church, from us. God so loves the cosmos and desires for you to come towards the light. But even if you do not, I am going to recklessly chase after everyone in my creation. This is the story we have to go tell, friends. This is the scripture we know by heart. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.